This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress. The catalogue for the 2020 Classic Yearling Sale is now available. In total, 808 yearlings have been catalogued over three days, 613 in Book 1, 195 in the Highway Session. Book 1 will take place on Sunday, February the 9th, Monday the 10th and the morning of the 11th with the Highway Session beginning as soon as Book 1 is completed. The Classic Sale has produced eight Group 1 winners since 2018, including four Group 1 winning two-year-olds or three-year-olds in Sydney and Melbourne. Of the 808 lots catalogued, 734 are Bob's eligible. To request a catalogue, email catalogue at inglis.com.au or call 9399-7999. Catalogues are also available for the Inglis Premier Sale in Melbourne, March the 1st to March the 3rd. The 2020 Inglis Yearling Sale Round is about to begin. I'll never forget Melbourne Cup Day of 1994. I was in the Channel 9 newsroom in Sydney watching the telecast of the big race, after which I had to get my report ready for the six o'clock news. When Wayne Harris raced past the post to win the cup on the imported stallion Jeune, I got the biggest buzz I ever received inside or outside a broadcast box. It was hard to comprehend in that moment what it meant to Wayne Harris. He was then 34. At 22, he was diagnosed with his first brain tumour and then came a spate of race falls which left him with many and varied injuries. There was a partial finger amputation when a golden staph infection set up. A second brain tumour followed, then meningitis, and the list went on and on and on. Nowadays, the toughest bloke I've ever met works as a form analyst and a very good one on Sky Racing's Kembla Grange coverage and he manages three jockeys, Travis Wolfgram, Chris O'Brien and Robbie Dolan and he's also found the time to take a trip down memory lane on the podcast today. Always a delight to talk to W. Harris. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Johnny Tex. Thanks, Wayne. You know, getting back to Jeune, you didn't even know you were on the horse in the Melbourne Cup until about six o'clock on the Saturday night when the barrier draw was conducted upstairs at a special function. Now, Shane Dye had the pick between Jeune and a horse called Coachwood. That's right, John. I had been riding a lot for the Hayes stable. I'd gone down to Wrights and Covet mm-hmm. and things went a bit pear-shaped there. They were heading... I'd won the Caulfield Guineas on him and he was heading towards the Derby and then they decided with the lightweight to have a go at the Cox Plate and no way I could get down that light, mm. run the Cox Plate and it really gutted him and it really ruined my trip down there apart from winning the Guineas and a couple of other races but I kept driving David mad, you better have a good cup ride for me and yeah. I think he had four in the race and I think it was only one there I could make the weight for, maybe two um, and Jern was the heaviest of them Yeah, and he said, uh, and he gives Shane a bit of a torrid ride in the McKinnon on the Saturday and he's a Bit of an awkward horse to ride, apparently. Never been on his back. And mm. I said to David, what, what's he doing? He said, well, come up the barrier draw. Shane said that whatever draws the best for your ride. Mm. When the barrier draws come out, I'm sitting there with a champ- 
me and mate's wife Linda of champagnes in hand, not expecting much. And <laughs> Coachwood drew eight, drew, John drew nine, and um, and Shane decided to go with Coachwood. He was very good friends with um, Kerry Packer and uh, and Mr. Williams from the casino. So mm-hmm. I think he sort of thought he was obligated to go that way. And during having given him a difficult ride in the McKenna, he didn't think he'd run the two mile. And they interviewed David. They saw who's going to ride journey. He looked over and said, you better go and ask that fellow over there. And I could have swallowed the champagne glass. And uh. funny thing, I, I just had a gut feeling. I just had a really good feeling from that, from that moment. Mm. Just like if I knew the horse would run really well and, it was up to me to give him a good ride and things to work out, and and that's how it turned out. I don't know what it is about Melbourne Cup Day. John, I rode my first win on a Melbourne Cup Day. Yeah. Um, the year before, you were just talking about losing a finger. That was the Melbourne Cup Day when Vintage Crop won in 1993. Mm. I was in hospital, very, very sick. Yeah. And then turn around and win it the next year, and um, I missed a lot of Melbourne Cups through suspension and injuries. And mm. to think at the end of my career to win a Melbourne Cup and to say that looking through all my rides, I rode well over 2,000 winners, I've lost track of them, but to mm. think that you could ride a race like that and win Melbourne Cup, where a lot of better jockeys than me weren't able to win a cup, but yeah, you know, less than a handful of rides in the cup be able to win it, and then have to retire due to ill health a year and a half later, you know, yeah. when I was just starting to come good at it, know how to win a Melbourne Cup, later retire. <laughs> <laughs> Wayne, there was no pressure going into the cup, really. Nobody thought the horse had run two miles. Everybody had dropped off him. Take us through the race. Where did you want to be? Mate, it was a lot of pressure. As I said, I said to David Hayes, can I come and have a feel of him at the track? And he laughed at me. He said, mate, I don't want the horse to go three laps because he's a hard pulling horse. Mm. He said, no, nah, you just get on him race day and use your magic. Use those magic hands. Mm. And uh, everyone used to know I used to use the white gloves like the magician. And yeah. anyway, I come out and I said, well, I know he walks out of the barriers because he had a habit. When he was in England, he used to try to bolt. And they, in England, he could do different things. And they used to neck him out the back from the barrier and give him a start, you know, and try to settle him. So when he came here to Australia with the barrier open, he'd just stand there and he'd give him a length of two start and that's what happened with Shane and the McKinnon. He'd give him a dig to try to make up and he just could not dig him up. Mm. Anyway, come out and said to David, mate, I'm going to just try to come out and bury him. He laughed at me. He said, you won't be able to do that. He said, look, you'll probably race up, I don't know, over the two mile, you know, you might have the trouble. You just try to go as steady as you can on him, as kind as you can on him and hope for the best. Anyway, he's walked out the gates and I just had to back myself. I could see I had to go one or two ways, and I backed myself, gave him a little bit of a dig and put myself there. Then he started to over-race. He was on their heels down to the post the first time and mm. had a few jocks around me yelling and screaming and mm. giving my uh, breeding, which I don't think I had right. But mm. um, got around the, that first turn, and my theory was always if you couldn't follow the best horse in a race, follow the best jockeys. Yes. Yeah. And I was following Jimmy Casty and Darren Beeb, and, gee, you go a long way to get better jockeys than them. Mm. They probably weren't on the best horses on the day, but, gee, they rode good races for me. Mm. I was able to – he sort of went pretty keen until he got down the back straight, and he, he come back a bit for me. Mm. And I really only went around one horse in the race when Jimmy uh, – firstly, Darren's horse gave up the ghost, and then Jimmy's mm. horse. And I, I come to the home turn, I had a lap full of horse. Mm. We all know it's a long straight there at Flemington, and – didn't know how Jern had handled the two miles, and there was a gap come as soon as we straightened. And I said, if I don't go now, there's a lot of horses weakening. And I, I gave him a little bit of a dig to go through, and he shot through the gap. Oh, he him in front. Yeah. He him in front, 300 to go. I know where Malcolm was worried about finding that clock tower. I looked at it in the corner of my eye, and I said, I've got to wait. 
mm. waited as long as I can, and the horse was just travelling so well. Anyway, I waited to, uh, out of the corner of my eye, I saw um, the challenger starting to come, so I said, righto, son, you've had a pretty cosy time it, so I give him a dig of the ribs and he exploded. Yes, yeah. And uh, I probably only had to hit him six or seven times to keep him on the job, and I think the key to it, I rang Roy Higgins before, trying to get as much help as I could, and he laughed at me, he said, yeah, good luck. He said, uh, don't, <laughs> give you when the, don't give you win the cup for you. He said, I don't think I, he said, you're pretty good with the whip in the left hand, aren't you? I went, yeah. Mm. He said, well, everyone's been riding him with the whip in the right hand. He said, you might just shock the horse. So I carried him in the left and I gave him a couple of reminders and uh, he responded to it. So it might have been just something different mm. with him. And, uh, yeah, so it was just a, just a magical day, John. You just wish everyone in their life could have a day like that, you know. Yeah. It opens a lot of doors for me. As I said, a lot of better jockeys than me probably never won a cup and all that. Roller coaster life that I had, you know, uh, with mm. the brain tumors and race falls, and could have been anywhere, anywhere in the world, and at any level. And I just kept getting pulled back. And to think at the end of your career, or, you know, I didn't think it was going to be the end of my career, but it turned mm. out to be to win a Melbourne Cup. Just magical. Wayne, twenty-six days after he won the Melbourne Cup, <clears throat> he was in Japan, and so were you to ride him in the Japan Cup, and he wasn't disgraced. He ran sixth officially, only three and a half lengths from the winner. Great run. Um, he, was, he didn't get invited to go. He was only uh, on, the, on the wait list, and then when he won the Cup, they decided to bring him up. So <clears throat> I hadn't had plans to go, and I'd had um, a bad hemorrhoid problem. And I went and had my hemorrhoids done, and I was home recovering, and I got a phone call from David Hayes. He said, Better pack your bags, we're going to Japan. Good. I said, all oh, right, yeah. Mm. So in the race, going past the post the first time, there was terrible interference. Jern actually nearly fell, you know, pulling as usual and all that kind of crap. And mm. I sort of clipped heels and uh, uh, rough habit. Jimmy was in the race. We, we both caught a bit of bit of interference and uh, mm. four or five horses got badly interfered with. And I fell back in the saddle very hard. And whether that flared something up with him or it's not, I don't know. But mm. I had a... The horse, if he hadn't have won, he should have definitely run a place. Anyway, uh, that night I didn't feel very well and I had, um, I was bleeding uh, the next day. Uh, uh, that, that shouldn't talk about it much, but I mm. lost a hell of a lot of blood. Yeah. And uh, we got to the airport and I thought, just get on this plane, have a couple of scotches and I'll be right. But <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was that sick, I collapsed. Yeah. And they told me to go and sit back in the seat as we're taxiing out. I collapsed and they had to stop mm-hmm. the plane and... Is there a doctor on the on the plane? Luckily, there was, mm. and um, I told him what was wrong, and they rushed me off the, put the plane back in, took me off, and I ended up in a Japanese hospital for for about four or five days. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, it was wasn't a very nice experience, but they said if the plane would have taken off, it would have been four or five hours before they could have landed, and mm. I'd been dead. So yeah, there oh, you go. exactly. Wayne, <clears throat> the horse went for a spell after Japan. And he came back in February of 95 and he ran first up, as a lot of Melbourne Cup horses have over the years, in the CF Orr Stakes. There were 12 runners, your second and third last coming to the turn, and I will never forget the way he rounded those horses up. His time was 121.1. He beat Hurricane Sky and Scalacci. I think that was his finest moment. Melbourne Cup but, included. He, he, I don't think a horse in the world would have beaten him that day at 1,400. Yeah, um, I echo your words there, Johnny. He um, take the Melbourne Cup out. For me, that was his best win, mm. uh, especially coming back after all that had happened and the travelling and 
Gee, he, he'd have he'd nearly beaten any horse on that day. He mm. was he was electric. He was dynamite. When a, oh, he's back really? in the field, I had to push a couple of horses out of the way. And it was a funny horse. Like being a stay, and I loved – I could bounce him off another horse. And I, I think a lot of horses would turn it up, but he used to – that used to rev him up. Mm. I don't know if he's a bully or what he was, but he'd push a horse out of the way and off he'd go. And that day he just exploded. And uh, for me, that was his best win uh, yeah, by far. Yeah. Wayne, I'm going to duck back a few years here. 1979, you did two remarkable things in that year. At a Randwick midweek meeting, you were 18 years of age. You rode five winners on the day. I'll never forget it, and no doubt you won't either. Five winners in a second. The second one should have won. Mm. Uh, protested. They threw it out and give Ethel Mully a month for knocking me down. So mm. worked that one out. Yeah. Should have been six winners, uh, five winners. Two of them were from Newcastle, Archie Freighter with um, Mr Bluebeard and Roy Hinton with Showcrest. I think Tommy Smith trained one, Sid Brown the other, and Johnny Paletti, Archibaldo. Mm. So five wins in a second, and that was on New Year's Eve, I think, that year. And, um, yeah, wonderful thing. It's been done a couple of times since, but I think I was I was definitely the first apprentice to do it. Mm-hmm. Wonderful day. A few months later... Bart Cummings didn't have a rider for Sensory Miss in the Golden Slipper. Now, he didn't want to use an apprentice, and it was the late, great Bert Lilly who said, Bart, put Wayne Harris on, you won't regret it. He said, I can't put a kid on in a group one. And Bert Lilly said, this is no ordinary kid, Bart. I had a wonderful supporter in Bert Lilly. He wrote some lovely things about me. And, um, you know, I think I'd have to say he was somewhat of a personal friend. Um, he, I'd ridden a lot for Bart, and in them days, apprentices just didn't get rides in big races like that. A few jockeys knocked back the ride, a few jockeys that rode for the stable. Mm. And Bert just said, why don't you put the kid on? He, and he, he said, no, I can't put him on in the slipper. And he said, well, you put him on every other day of the week. What's he done wrong? Mm. And... But I just said, well, I'll run past the owners. It's not probably the silliest thing in the world. And they had no problem with throwing me on. And mm. well, a lot of people don't understand uh, when Malcolm Johnson comes through the ranks, apprentices could have a, a kilo and a half claim to you come out of your time. And yeah. Malcolm won the jockey's premiership. And they said, well, we can't have this happening again. So I was the next gun to come through. So once you wrote a certain amount of winners, they took your claim off you. So I was riding as a 17, 18 year old as a senior jockey. And it was pretty hard. You walk into the room, you had, mm. you know, the Dipmans, Ronnie Quinton, uh, you know, Johnny Duggan, oh, just Malcolm, all, all the great jockeys at that time. Um, Peter Cook. Peter Cook, there you go, another yeah, one. Yeah, uh, I, I just think, you know, I'm walking into the room as a, as a greenhorn and, and uh, you know, I could ride winners everywhere, but I had to stand up and, and you know, I never had much of a, mm. a youth. I was uh, just working every day and, you know, as a professional jockey and treated as a senior jockey from the time I was 18. So mm. to get a ride in the slipper and, you know, then to turn around and, and win it for Bart was just unbelievable. Yeah, great. Wayne, you never won another golden slipper, but, gee, you were around the mark a few times. You ran second on Food for Love, third on Baglaga Miss, second on Paris Opera behind Quartzer, and third on Big Dreams for Brian Mayfield-Smith. And you've always said you probably should have won that slipper. I think Terse won it, did he? Yeah, he had a – he had a, he did. He, I, I had Shane tied inside me. He was screaming. and I, I put him over the fence tonight. Is it worth getting a month or hmm. – <laughs> but the horse horse had a bad – I'd been told he had a bad abscess in his mouth leading up to that. And, they, and I know Brian said to me, don't get on his mouth. Don't touch him. So hmm. – 
and I had him going along sweetly and Shane pushed up inside me and got the beautiful run through and beat me and um, yeah, I'm sure I had only big dreams on the day was probably at his top but I, if I had knocked Shane down I would have won the race mm. and I should probably last year my apprenticeship I should have won on Food for Love for, for Pat Farrell was owned by George Ryder who we all know started off the Golden Slipper and he was a great supporter of mine and just wish I had won for Mr Ryder I'd done yeah, we uh, we got beat ahead by um, uh, Angus Amanasco as well. So I'm just full, his full name. on aces. Full on aces. He beat me ahead, and mm. I got held up badly in the race down the straight. I followed the favourite, Rory's gesture in the race, and yeah. thinking I was doing the right thing, and um, he couldn't handle the wet track on the day, and I just got held up for a couple of strides up the straight and mm. changed course. And full on aces had a full steam of gas down the outside with Mick Dippman and, and beat me ahead. And so mm. I think I should have won two other slippers, but. Always mm-hmm. around. I always had a good record on the two-year-olds for some reason. Mm-hmm. I won, uh, I think, two Magic Millions, a Blue Diamond, an uh, English Classic, um, and uh, many, many others too. Um, for some reason, maybe my style suited two-year-olds, but uh, I had yeah. a very good record on them. I think it was the white gloves. Not always the white gloves. I only took that on, I don't know, layering up at some time. <laughs> <laughs> when I went overseas, you rode, uh, rode on a lot of um, tracks where it was very cold and yeah. – Windy and blustery, and wore the gloves. And um, plus, also after I lost my finger, I used to get get a, a bad rash with, from the horse sweat and, and things. Yeah. So I, I always used to wear gloves after that. But a couple yeah. of different reasons. Yep. Great to reminisce, Wayne. We're going to pause for just a moment on the podcast. We'll be back after this. Of all the new initiatives introduced in recent years by Racing New South Wales, none have been more widely acclaimed than the weekly Tab Highway races. Introduced four years ago, the Tab Highways have proven to be a tremendous stimulus for country racing stables as new owners constantly look for the right horses to bring to town. At first, Trainers like Matt Dunn, Danny Williams and Terry Robinson dominated the highways, but nowadays the results prove that many and varied stables have learned to identify the kind of horse they need to travel down the highway. $75,000 in prize money and an assortment of race distances are making these races highly competitive and stimulating healthy betting trends. The Tab Highways are a big part of the new world of Sydney racing. My special guest is former champion jockey and one of the greatest jockeys of his generation, Wayne Harris. Wayne, you won a Doomben Cup, or the 4X Cup as it was known then, on a horse called Hussar's Command for the late Bede Murray. Did you ever in your career ride on a heavier track than that? Yes, once in New Zealand. Did you? Uh, I got invited over there and I rode a lot of slow horses that were... They were going down to their knees. I got to the last race and I pulled the pin. I was riding a horse that had no form and ended up being a half-brother to Vanderham or something. So mm. that's that's my luck for you. But uh, we we wanted to call the races off. Funny story to that. We were out with Bede for lunch, I think, on the Tuesday, and he said, you've got to ride in the in the Doom and Cup. And I said, no, you better ride this old horse. I said, what's he got? He said, oh, 52 and a half. I went, I won't make that. He said, oh, put down that beer and go home and... <laughs> So, so I did, <laughs> yeah. and mate, I sat in a sauna. I ran. I, I did everything. I got there, and I was I was half dead. Mm. But that track was terrible, and all the jockeys wanted to call it off. And the stewards and a couple of committee men come to the room. They said, "Listen, guys, it mean a lot to us if we can get through this for sponsors and whatever. Please ride this, and we'll call the last off. Please go around." So mm. anyway, we went out, and um, 
I was really struggling with my, with my health and the weight and mm. 52 and a half. I was half dead, as I said. And mm. I knew the favourite had red colours and uh, there's two horses in the race that had red colours. Anyway, I had three sets of goggles on. Halfway round, the three goggles all come off. I could not see where I was going. Mm. And I had mud in my eyes and I was following horse in red colours. For Christ's sake, let this be the favourite. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, turned for home and there's about three or four horses in front of me. I pulled him out and he... Hazard's been made. He's by Seventh Hazard, and they love the wet. He yeah. ate mud for breakfast, and he mm. just he gobbled them up and beat them. And uh, yeah. luckily, I was following a horse in red. <laughs> Two horses in red run second and third. So yeah. <laughs> my theory worked out. Wayne, true version. I think you only ever sat on his back once, and that was a win in the Group One Champagne Stakes for a wonderful trainer and a great character, Angus Armanasco. I've got to thank Mick Dittman for that one. He was supposed to ride him and uh, he commi- uh, Tommy Smith wouldn't let him get off speed check. Mm. And he said, put Wayne Harris on, he'll suit him because he's a temperamental horse. I went and rode him work, I think, on the Thursday morning. It took me an hour to get him out of the track. He jacked up and had an attitude. Anyway, I beat Mick ahead. And I used to laugh because Mick wasn't very good with the whip in the left hand. And I said, I have to show you how to do that, Mick. <laughs> I said, why'd you, why'd, you, why'd you kick up for me? And he said, because I know I can get you off him. I put one of these other blokes on, they'd have been on the phone, cutting my throat. He said, I know I can get back on him. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was the case. But, yeah, I'm going to thank you for giving me the ride that day and I did the right thing. But I beat him ahead and you don't beat it. Oh, dip in the head very often. No, no, Wayne. And a, a nice compliment too from Mick. Uh, I mean, a, a real compliment to your character and your mark of integrity. And I just like, yeah, at the end of my day, people say, what was your best asset? And I think, um, you know, even though I've been sick the last couple of weeks, there's so many people ringing up and checking how I am. And yeah. you, you forget how um, – I just like to think I've got a good name in racing. Man, I could have made a lot more money being very evil, very mm-hmm. more daring, but I, um, I'm very happy with how I've come out of it um, and knowing that I've done the right thing by people. I'm just plucking Group 1 winners out of the air here, Wayne. It's a, keep keep a, plucking them. A keep random them. reminiscence, in <laughs> other words. Here's one. Jean wasn't the first winner you rode for Sheikh Hamdan. You won the Blue Diamond for him in 1990 on Marhassan. I did. And there you go again. I think Hazers had three or four in the race. They said, can you ride one? I said, well, don't put me on the Phillies because I think they had 52 or 53. I said, put me on one of the Colts. Mm. Fields come out. I'm the one of the Phillies, Marhassan. Oh, my God. So, mm. mate, I played tennis. I ran. I did everything. Anyway, I got there and rode it. And, there's a bit of carnage in the race, and but choosing the right place at the right time and happened to win. And I'd always wanted to go to Europe, Johnny, and um, yeah, you know, get away riding a little bit heavier over there. And I just thought I'd suited. And winning on Mahassan, I was offered a contract to go to Ireland the next season. Mm. And uh, I went over and I had an absolute ball. I probably excelled over there. They said, if you ride 20 or 30 winners, you've excelled. And I think I rode 40-odd and run in the top five in the premiership. So I'd, um, I did quite well there, and I really enjoyed it. I would have – it's funny how one door shuts, another one opens. I, I was going to go back the next year, but I come home, my dad was terminally ill, mm. and I couldn't go back. And he lasted, to his credit, a bit longer than – they held off for me to go back, and uh, but it didn't work out, and I stayed here. Uh, went and did a year or two in Singapore. But I've gone back to Europe. I'd probably been still over there. But I went to Singapore, had a couple of very good years there, come back and got the ride on Jern. So if I'd have been over there, I wouldn't have won the Melbourne Cup. So yeah. you take it as it comes. 
six of one and a half a dozen of the other. Something like that. Now, Wayne, the Shires produce stakes at Randwick in 1994. St Covet was in the race. At that time, nobody thought there was a jockey in existence who could settle him in front at 1,400 metres. You got the ride, you got him to relax, and you won the Group 1 size produce stakes on him. It's funny. It looked like he, he raced a lot harder than he was, John. I picked up the ride there. Uh, Shane Dye was injured or hurt or something, and Shane Scribble was supposed to ride him, and last minute he, could, he couldn't make the weight, so they called on me. And I just went out and rode him, and um, he always looked like he was going harder than he was, so I can't take full credit for that. But for some reason, he, he just had a good rhythm under me. Mm. Um, Rob McInerney, the owner, always uh, reminisces every time one of the big wins comes along, he sends me a message and or rings me, and I was the only one to win a group one on him. And, yeah, he um, he won the uh, one that, that day in the size, and they said to me, he's a funny horse, don't, don't go easy on him, he loves the whip. <laughs> so, when I heard the other horses come, I give him three or four hard cracks, and he he goes through a brick wall for you. That horse, he was um he was yeah. a game bugger, mm. and I, I think I won the um, Caulfield Guineas on him as well. Yes, I won did. A, two or three sires, so I had a bit of luck in that race too. That was an amazing weekend, you know. The weekend you won the Caulfield Guineas on St Covert, twenty four hours earlier, you were at Port Macquarie, New South Wales, and you won the Port Macquarie Cup on a little grey horse called Town Oak. And I can remember saying to you, how the hell are you going to get to Melbourne for the guineas? Well, I nearly didn't get there either. They invited me up there and I wasn't going to go. And, you know, being, me being a country boy from Musselbrook and the club asked me to go up as a guest and I didn't really, at the time when I said yes, I didn't know I'd be riding St Covered in the Caulfield guineas. So mm. Yorkie said to me, if you're coming up here, you've got to ride my bloody horse. So. Mm. Mm. I went up and there, won it for Yorkie, which was great. He was always a very good supporter. And um, we got to the airport and the plane wouldn't work. So they tried to call in a replacement plane and uh, we're sitting there. I think it was about 11 o'clock at night they got a plane to, to get there and we got back to Sydney and mm. they weren't going to let us land. And, you know, I got home. I had a couple of hours of sleep and had to get on a plane and get to Melbourne. And, you know, all the time not being able to have a feed and trying to lose weight. And, <laughs> oh, so it's a great trivia question. I don't think any jockey's ever won a Port Macquarie Cup and a Caulfield Guineas. And a Caulfield, Caulfield Guineas and a Melbourne Cup in the same year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty rare treble. Wayne, I love your uh, grasp of aviation technology there. You said the plane wouldn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not a rocket scientist, Johnny. That's all I know. <laughs> I'll tell you one of your most memorable major wins. I only saw it on television, but I'll never forget it. You you won the Hong Kong Bowl at Sha Tin on a horse trained by your former brother-in-law, Graham Begg, a horse who had to be ridden as cold as a mackerel, and you were back second and third last. Oh, talk about being in the right place at the right time. That was a gem of a ride. It meant a lot to me, John Moore, so that I had a contract in Hong Kong. I went over and rode for John Moore, and I did very well there, but I had a fallen out with John and went with another train and was going very well, and I had bad track work for horse fell over on top of me, and my back, as I said, always had trouble with that, and I um, I think I had a fracture in my, my hip or something, and broke my um, – my, uh, Oh, the bone down your top of your backside. I lost memory now. But coxic. I was in coxic. That'll do. And hey. uh, tailbone, all that. So I was in a bad way, and I I come home to recuperate, and 
they wanted me to go back and have my recuperation back in Hong Kong. I said, look, there's no point. I've got to stay here and want to get right. So I had a couple of rides here before the end of the season and I um, applied to go back next season. They were a bit dirty on me and wouldn't give me a contract because I didn't go back. They said I didn't fulfill my last contract. So mm. I applied to go back. So I loved Hong Kong. And even when Neville went over to train there, I, you know, we probably didn't push that hard, but I would love to have gone back and ridden and, Mm. wasn't until Monopolize got invited to go for the big international. And mm. we went over, we always had good hopes with him. And I've never seen a horse to improve as much as him. Like, he was a good little horse, but he, he must have been made of steel. We had to give him extra work over there, and he just excelled. He went to another level. And, yeah, I remember Neville was training there, and he had a favourite yeah. in the race. And he said, we went out for dinner through the week. He said, son, just follow my horse. Yeah. and just do your best, and we jumped out. I drew 13. I think Neville's horse, Greg Childs, was on drew 14. Mm. And we jumped out, and Greg was going to be stuck four deep the trip, and I said, Wayne, go to plan B. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I necked back and just rode the race of my life, got out the right time and won by, I think, ahead in the race, and yeah. Neville said to me, okay, I'll never give you instructions again. And, mm. But uh, was, he had the favourite in the race, which uh, never had any luck, but he is in the ownership of um, Monopolise, which mm. it was great. And then winning that, and uh, winning the Melbourne Cup, all of a sudden I got an invite to go back to Hong Kong. Yeah. And I was planning to go back again and then, you know, getting sick, that all sort of got put in it and having mm. to give it up, that was that was the end of me. But uh, just to be able to get back to Hong Kong, I had a six-week uh, contract there, did very well, caught up with some old friends and, and really loved it. But it, it meant a lot to me to go back and win on Monopolies. And mm. next year I was in hospital very sick and Darren rode him and he won again. Yeah. So he's just a horse that excelled with travelling and doing it tough. Mm. Mate, you're a funny bloke. Uh, not only do you have a, a, a grasp of aviation technology, <laughs> you also have a grasp of medical terminology. Uh, and I'll quote you, what's the name of the bone at the top of your backside? <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, getting old a bit senile, John. So <laughs> uh, you've got, I tell you, John, having a sense of humour has got, you know, I've got a sick sense of humour. I like playing jokes on people and things like that, but it's got me through life. All the ups and downs I've had, if you don't yeah. laugh, mate, you cry, and when you cry, you think a bad thing. So mm. I try to laugh my, my way through life, and I try to pull a joke on someone every day and make someone laugh, and it, yeah. you know, it gets me by anyway. Well, you've made me laugh today, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> now, Wayne, one more Group 1 reminiscence before we close this interview. You provided Gay Waterhouse with her first Group 1 winner in Melbourne when you won the new market on a great little horse called All Our Mob. Oh, what a gentleman he was, All Our Mob. He, he was such a good horse. He could win from um, – he ran a great race in a Cox Plate, but he, mm. he could win like he did. Uh, he won the new market on that occasion and beat some very, very good horses. I think um, – I can't remember what was in the race now, but he – yeah, he, he, he won – down the straight there, and uh, that was Gay's first Group One in Melbourne, and uh, great memories. And one of my, I think I rode over over thirty Group One wins around the world. And mm. Sort of did pretty well for a young fellow from Musterbrook that people didn't think was going to get to too far, but I probably excelled, punched above my weight. Wayne, despite the setbacks, your life as a jockey has been a wonderful journey, from Musselbrook, as you said, in the Upper Hunter Valley to the long green stretches at Flemington on the back of a horse who did so much for you. I've mentioned your name over the years to many educated and observant racing people, and they all say the same thing. What great hands, 
What great balance. What a great jockey. Thanks for the memories, Wayne Harris. Thanks, John Tat. And I think uh, I've got to thank a lot of people over the years for helping me and being there for me. And when I retired, I think one of the loveliest compliments I got was from John Hawkes. He said, there's jockeys, there's horsemen. W. Harris was both. So mm. just very pleased with the career that I had. Pity had all the, the downs, but gee, the ups were good, but the downs, you don't like talking about them. But I've got to thank you for a lot of things, getting into the media, working uh, at Channel 9 Sky. You helped me a hell of a lot, told me when I was uh, what not to do and what would help, and it's got me a long way. I'm still working in the media, which I'm very thankful for you. And thank everyone's helped me along the way. Mate, I've had a wonderful career and I try to forget about the downs anyway. Great to talk, mate. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Been a pleasure, John. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis.